0: Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It is our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now here's today's message with Pastor Michael. Would you take your Bible, open it to Acts chapter 27, writing out the storm is the title of the message, Acts chapter 27. Hadn't Paul had enough storms in his life? I mean, did he really need another storm? <laughs> well, when we, when we start to look at the subject of storms, storms become a metaphor for trials and difficulties. And so we're going to watch a real-life drama unfold before us, and it's going to be the drama of a shipwreck. It's Acts 27, and we're going to watch Paul go through a storm, and the ship is going to crash. But there's a lot of metaphors or lessons about the voyage of life that we can pull from this section. So let's ask the Lord's help one more time. Father, thank you so much for your word. It's breathed out by God. It's living. It's powerful. It's profitable. We are here to know you better. We want to respond to your word with a heart of openness, that you might speak to us, that we might apply your word, that we might even re-anchor ourselves to the promises of God. I know there are people going through storms even this morning in our midst, Lord, and I pray that you would speak and teach us more about how to navigate the storms of life, knowing that ultimately you're in control and you can use them for good. So help us, Lord, as we study this text. Speak to us. We have ears to hear. So let us hear what you would say to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's hit the hardest question from the beginning. Why do we have storms? (laughs) I mean, I think we all wrestle with that. And one reason we know we have storms is because we live in a fallen world, and this fallen world is under a curse. Now, that curse has been reversed by the death and resurrection of Jesus, but we're still in a world that has not been renewed yet, and because of that, we're going to go through trials and storms in our lives. Now, in this room today, we have a couple of hundred people, and typically on the campus of Living Truth, between second and third services, at each service, we have about 270 some odd people, give or take, and there are 276 people that are going to be on this boat in our account. All of them are going to go through the same storm, but some of them are going to react very differently than others. You're going to watch one man who had been through a lot of storms, exercised faith in the storm. As a matter of fact, he is going to rise above the storm. He's not only going to ride out the storm, he's going to rise above it and he's going to become a symbol of hope in Christ. And we all have decisions to make when it comes to storms. And one of the things that we can do in life is to anticipate storms. So if you're a note taker, right out of the gate... We need to anticipate storms. Life on this side of heaven is never going to be perfect. Have you realized that? If you haven't, you will. Jesus said in John 16, In this world you will have tribulation but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. The word word tribulation is the Greek word flipsis, It means trouble. It means pressure. It can even mean persecution. Jesus made a promise to us that this side of heaven, we are going to go through stormy times. Now, not all times will be stormy, and when we have smooth sailing, we rejoice in that, we praise God, but you know, storms can come suddenly. You can be riding along and everything seems to be cool, and all of a sudden, the storm winds hit. And then you have to decide what you're going to do, who you're going to be in the storm, whether or not you're going to stand on the promises of God. And I think I could speak for all of us in saying that many times I haven't handled storms well. Uh, You know, we can we can do all this preparation. We can say, okay, when the storm's coming, this is what I will do. I will be anchored to my faith. I will stand on the promises of God. And then the storm hits, and we're like, (laughs) why, why, why? Ever been there before? We can get real whiny. And we can come to God with our whininess and even our friends, and we can even apologize and say, I'm sorry, but I'm just extra whiny this week. I I apologize for whining, and your good friend might say to you, too late, you've already whined. But you know what? We're going to go through storms, and we have to prepare ourselves to know what we're going to do when we face them and how we can face them with the hope of Almighty God. Now, what are the purposes or reasons for storms, and how does God exploit them? Well, some storms are about faith stretching. We can see that in the life of the apostles, when they needed their faith increased, and Jesus came to them walking on the sea, and he challenged them, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? I told you you were going to get to the other side. And some storms are storms of correction and even redirection. Think of Jonah. Jonah was running from God, and God caused a storm to come upon the sea and even prepared a fish, and Jonah knew it was his fault. He knew the storm had arisen because of him. And finally, the storm calmed down, and Jonah learned some very valuable lessons. One other thing I want to say to you is that storms are momentary. Their momentary light affliction, according to second, Tim- second Corinthians or no oh I think it 's second Corinthians four verses seventeen and eighteen Paul says our current trials are light momentary affliction. Now you might say, but they don 't feel light to me, but in comparison with the weight of glory that 's coming they 're light and they are momentary. they will end, the sun will shine again. How God works all of that out i don 't always know but I do know that they are temporary. So here's Paul, this is Acts 27, riding out the storm. We're gonna pull many lessons from the drama of this account of how to navigate this voyage of life and this voyage of life in Christ. Paul had made an appeal to Caesar, to Caesar he would go, and Luke, our author, writes these words, Acts 27, verse 1. And when it was decided that we, Luke includes himself, he had probably been in Caesarea while Paul was in prison, probably ministering to his needs. Now it was decided that they would go to Rome. This was the place that Paul always wanted to go and preach. He wrote, he read, "I can speak." He wrote that in Romans one and Romans fifteen. It was his heart to go to Rome because all roads led to Rome and all roads led out from Rome, and it was the epicenter of the world. But Rome was an ugly place. It was a dark place. It was a place that was filled with all kinds of mysticism and evil. And even though it was the imperial capital of the world, Rome needed Christ very desperately. And if you've noticed, Paul loved to go to places, big cities where he could impact the most people. So he wanted to go to Rome and he wanted to share the gospel. And so it was decided that we should sail for Italy and Luke is there, Dr. Luke, and he said they proceeded to deliver Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort, or the Imperial Regiment, the NIV says. His name was Julius. Now, we learn from history that his first name was Orange. Just kidding. Uh, Anyway, I thought you might need a little humor out of the gate. But anyway, his name was Julius. Now, notice there were some other prisoners with Paul. Who these prisoners were, we don't know, but many of them, uh, William Ramsey says, may have already been condemned to death And they were likely getting on a ship, think about this, to go to Rome to be part of the arena or the forum where they would take condemned and convicted criminals and basically make sport of them and kill them. So Paul was not a condemned criminal. He had been on trial, but his case was not settled yet. But the others who were sailing with him may have already been condemned to die. You see, sometimes when storms happen, They're not just about us. There are 276 people on this vessel and those people need to hear about Christ and imagine some of those other prisoners who may have a death sentence hanging over their very heads. And what does Paul have? The hope of the gospel. This storm is not just about him. And sometimes we need to widen out our view when a storm happens and say, you know what, Lord, you may not be the cause of this storm, but I want to understand how to navigate it, not only for my faith, but maybe for the help of others. Oswald Chambers writes these words. He said, if you are going to be used by God, he will take you through a multitude of experiences that are not meant for you at all. They are meant to make you useful in his hands. Close quote. And all of you that have been following Christ for some time know that that's exactly the case. He takes storms and he uses them for his purpose. So how can we navigate them well? Well, this is verse two. And embarking on a Adramidian ship, which was about to sail to the regions along the coast of Asia, we put out to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica. And the next day we put, out, we put in at Sidon. This is about 70 miles up north from the coast of Caesarea. And Julius treated Paul with consideration and allowed him to go to his friends and receive care. So the ship kinda sat there, they disembarked, and Paul saw some Christians in Sidon, but he also had Doctor Luke with him and he had Aristarchus. Church history tells us that Aristarchus was persecuted and martyred under Nero in the sixties AD. And in Colossians four ten, Paul calls Aristarchus my fellow prisoner. And here's an application point for you note-takers. I think when we go through storms, it's easy for us to decide to back away from people and even church. We can isolate ourselves in the storm. Now, I'm not saying there's not a place for a vacation, not a place for some alone time. Jesus did that to go and pray. Not a, a place for you to recharge your batteries. But sometimes, frankly, when we go through storms, we say something like this. I don't want my friends to see me like this. I don't want other people to see my non-church, happy, joyful face. So we hold back from sharing with others. We don't tell them what we're going through because we're just trying to, you know, kind of muscle up and, and get through the storm ourselves, and that's a mistake. Not even Paul did that. He had Dr. Luke with him. He had Aristarchus with him, and then he had the church who ministered to his need, and your friends, your good friends in Christ can help you through the storm. Now, it can be difficult on both sides of a storm because when you're with someone, sometimes you don't know how to best minister to them. And sometimes it's just about listening and it's about praying. And so now he received care and notice what happens. And from there, that's from Sidon, verse four, we put out to sea and sailed under the shelter of Cyprus. That was a island and because the winds were contrary. And some of you may be thinking, man, the winds are definitely blowing against me right now. And I need the shelter of, of God in my life. They were on a smaller coastal vessel, kind of hugging the shore, uh, protected from the wind somewhat from the island. And when we had sailed through uh, the sea along the coast of Cilicia, they're moving now in uh, Asia Minor or modern-day Turkey, in Pamphylia, we landed at Myra in Lycia, and there the centurion found an Alexandrian ship. This would be a grain ship coming from Alexandria, Egypt, and heading to Rome, and these were typically used to, to provide the grain. This was sailing for Italy, and he put us aboard it. So now they have come aboard this larger vessel. How large was it? One scholar says the typical grain freighter was 140 feet long, 36 feet wide, and bore a 33-foot draught Uh, Josephus tells us that one of these grain ships could hold up to 600 passengers. They would be a mixture of uh, slaves and they would be a mixture of soldiers and even prisoners. All these different people who had come aboard for this particular trip. And so there is Paul and they board the larger vessel. And when we had sailed slowly for a good many days with difficulty and arrived off Snidus, since the wind did not permit us to go farther... We sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salmon. And here's the second time Luke says this. And with difficulty, sailing past it, they were rounding the southeast corner of the island. We came to a certain place called Fair Havens, near which uh, was the city of Lycia. Now, Fair Havens almost sounds like a country club, doesn't it? We've gone to Fair Havens, and we're going to have some tea and crumpets and all that stuff. And so, they, But they didn't want to stay there because it didn't seem like the best place for wintering. So look at verse 9. And when considerable time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous, since even the fast. The fast is a reference to the Day of Atonement. It was the only one of the seven feasts of Israel with a mandatory fast. And so the fast had passed. You remember Yom Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement happens what time of year? It's in the fall. So this is when shipping on the open seas especially would become very dangerous, and the the ancients used to say that they would shut down all open sea voyages from the 15th of September until early March. Well, we know, and one scholar believes, this is, uh, I think, from F.F. Bruce or William Ramsey, that this date is October the 5th, A.D. 59, We are well past the time for safe sea voyages. And so the the winds are starting to blow and things are looking a little dangerous. And so Paul chimes in. Uh, This is the end of verse nine. Paul began to admonish them. And he said to them, men, I perceive or I discern that the voyage will certainly be attended with damage and great loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. Now, Paul had logged a lot of sea miles. This guy was going all over the Roman world, so he knew something about shipping. He knew about the weather. In uh, 2 Corinthians 11, he talks about that three times he had been shipwrecked and he had spent a night and day in the open sea or in the deep, apparently holding on to wreckage. So Paul knew something about not wanting to go through another shipwreck. If you've been through a couple of wrecks, you know that you want to do everything possible to do what? To avoid them. So Paul is admonishing them. He says, Look, I have a sense here that this is not going to go well. And so Paul had an audience. Why would a prisoner like Paul have an audience with the captain? Probably because he was seen as a holy man. You know, if you're on a plane going somewhere and you realize there's a pastor on board and going to a destination, you may feel a little bit better. Hey, he's here, and the Lord's probably not going to take him until he's done. And the pastor's usually saying, would you pray with me? I'm afraid of flying. But anyway, so here's Paul. Paul. The centurion was more persuaded, though, by the pilot. He's probably the one steering the ship and the captain. He's probably the owner of the ship than by what was being said by Paul. Now, the holy man's. he's warned us, and he seems to have some interesting insights, but we're going to go with a professional opinion. I think that's what the Titanic did, and we know how that ended. And because the harbor was not suitable for wintering 12, the majority, and sometimes the majority can be wrong, reached a decision to put out to sea from there. If somehow they could reach Phoenix, which was about 40 miles away to the other side of the island, a harbor of Crete facing southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. So they said, man, we only need to go 40 more miles. It'll be fine. You ever been there before? We only need to go a little bit more. And somebody else is saying to you, I don't think this is a good idea. I don't think we should go. Oh, it'll be good. We're we're fine. And so they decided to go. And the storm winds began to brew. When a moderate south wind came up, 13, supposing that they had gained their purpose, they weighed anchor and began sailing along Crete, close inshore. They were hugging the shore for protection. But before long, there rushed down from the land a violent wind. If you have the NIV, it says a wind of hurricane force. This is actually the Greek word where we get the English word typhoon. It's literally a typhonic wind began to blow. And in the NAS, it was called the yurikilo, the east northeast wind, or a northeaster according to the NIV. Some sailors believe that this gale, Uroquilo, from their point of view, was from Euraclidon. He was the terror of seamen and that he had been watching and waiting from the top of Mount Ida, the fabled abode of Zeus, to drive them to destruction. When the winds began to howl, these guys who believed in a lot of mythologies and gods and goddesses of weather, etc., began to say, this sea god or whatever is going to get us if we go out on the open sea. And they were very fearful. And just a side note, there are a lot of fearful people in our world. A lot of crazy stuff happening. Have you been just taking some notes of the Middle East right now, of other things that are happening? A lot of people that are unsure and wondering where this world is going to go. And another point for you note-takers is that storm winds can come suddenly and things can change quickly. Uh, it seems like we're, we're riding along, the waters are calm, and all of a sudden the wind hits our boat something changes. We get a report that's negative and all of a sudden the boat begins to rock. And when the ship was caught in it and could not face the wind because these ancient ships really didn't have rudders, they had to kind of go with the wind. We gave way to it and let ourselves be driven along. Now sometimes when you're in a storm, that's about all you can do. You just have to go with it. We have some phrases in our culture like roll with the punches and go with the flow. And sometimes when we're in a storm, that's all we can do. We can say, God, you know, you've got me here at this time and you're doing something, so I'm gonna go with the flow. Interestingly enough, at the end of verse 15, see the phrase to be driven along. It's used in 1 Peter 1.21 of how inspiration works of the Bible. Peter writes, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men driven along or moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. You might ask, well, how, did, how does the Bible claim itself to be the word of God when it's written by men? Because men were literally driven along by the wind of the Holy Spirit, if you will. They yielded to him, to what he wanted written down. Now, he didn't extract their personalities from writing down the Bible, but the content is literally breathed out by God, and thus it is profitable. And when you read the Bible, it is literally the word of God breathed out by the wind of God, if you will and we'll direct your life according to what God has. And so they were being driven along by the wind. And running under the shelter of a small island called Clauda, they had a brief break from the small island, we were scarcely able to get the ship's boat under control. And after they had hoisted it up, they used supporting cables in undergirding the ship. This is a procedure known as frapping. And fearing that they might run aground on the shallows of Sirtis, they let down the sea anchor and, and so let themselves be driven along. Now the shallows of Syrtis was a place and they weren't quite there yet, but they were heading toward it almost like an ancient Bermuda Triangle. So can you imagine being on a ship, the wind begins to blow, you give into the wind and you're heading ding 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 towards a place known as the Bermuda Triangle. Everybody had to be freaking out. And you knew there were quicksands there, and this was the death yard of ships. They were on a ghost ship heading for a total disaster. And I'm sure people started to be freaked out and were responding in different ways and all of this stuff was going uh, on and one of the things they practically tried to do was frap the vessel. With that in mind, turn to Hebrews chapter two. What is frapping, you ask? Frapping is running ropes or cables along the whole of a ship to steady it in a storm and to keep it from breaking apart. The writer of Hebrews uses the phrase, a nautical term, to tell you about the current ministry of Jesus to believers. He uses the frapping image. Here's where it's found. This is Hebrews 2, look at verse 17. Hebrews 2:17 says, Therefore Jesus had to be made like his brethren in all things, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Look at verse 18, Hebrews 2. For since he, Jesus himself, was tempted in that which he suffered, he is able to come to the aid. The phrase come to the aid or to help uh, those who are tempted is the same Greek word, Botheo is the word and it means to frap a ship. And some of you may be saying, now wait a minute, when I'm in a storm and I call out to an unseen God, How does he help me in my storms? Have you ever asked that before? I don't see him. How does the help come? And the image is a nautical one and it has the idea of this. When you come to the throne of grace, Jesus will run the cables of his presence along the whole of the ship, if you will, and stabilize you in the storm. Now you say, that sounds good. And maybe that even worked for the apostle Paul, but what about my storm right now? So second service ended, and I preached this message, and a sweet lady in this congregation, she's been here for some time, says, Pastor Michael, I have to share something with you, and she was trembling. She said, July 13th of 2013, I wrote this date in my Bible. One year to the day that God spoke to her and gave her Acts 27 as a promise to stand upon. She was trembling. She said, my husband had had a massive heart attack, My grandson was in uh, the hospital with a blockage, and they were not giving him uh, a very good chance to live. We were going through this massive trial, and she said, I can't explain it to you, but somehow God led me to Acts 27, and I wrote the date July 13th, 2013. And he gave me this extra faith. And she said, I'm not a bold person. But in the hospital, I said, you know what? We're going to stand upon the promises of God. And she was praying with people and hospital workers and family. And some of the family had been wounded by a previous loss in the family. And she said, we stood upon the promises of God. And God made me bold as a lion. And we got through it. And yeah, the ship was shaken a little bit. But you know what? God got us through it. And my grandson lived. And my husband recovered. And right next to us on the front row row was another lady, precious lady, just about an hour ago, you guys, who's been battling cancer. She was overhearing this conversation. And so we migrated our way over to this sweet lady who's been uh, missing church and she's been going through her own health challenges. And this woman uh, shared the story and they were both in awe that it was a year to to the day and that lady prayed for that other lady better than I ever could have prayed. I was just along for the ride. And we were just in awe of God. And she said, I can't even explain it, Pastor Michael, but this is what God gave me. And when you were preaching this today, I looked in my Bible, I saw that date, and I went, oh my goodness! Look at what our God does! And you see, it wasn't just about her. It was about her family. It was about this other lady. And I'm sure even wider. Now it's about all of us hearing her story. See, God does work in the midst of the storm. If you would like to listen to this message or if you would like more information about the ministry of Living Truth, please visit our website at livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org. In Acts 27, the Apostle Paul ends up in a really bad storm, and he's with people, and everybody is nervous. If you look at Acts 27 20, it says, neither, since neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small storm was assailing us, that means it was a big one. From then on, all hope of our being safe was gradually abandoned. You know, when you lose hope, it's been said that you lose everything, but the Bible says that Jesus Christ is our hope, and the Apostle Paul, was able to give hope in a hopeless situation and that's what christians can do you know the this the vessel was being violently storm-tossed they began to jettison the cargo Uh, people were freaked out ready to bail out and paul says i urge you to keep up your courage for there shall be no loss of life among you but only of the ship for this very night an angel of god to whom i belong and whom i serve stood before me saying don't be afraid paul you must stand before caesar and behold God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. It's always good when there's a Christian guy with a mission on board a storm-tossed ship or a plane that might be in trouble, and word came, Paul, you're going to make it. Everyone on the ship is going to be saved. He says, therefore, Acts 27:25, keep up your courage, men, for I believe God that it will turn out exactly as I have been told. The Apostle Paul brought courage. He brought hope to the hopeless. And that's what we do as we walk in this life there's a lot of hopeless people there's people who are suicidal are you suicidal today have you been contemplating suicide can i just beg you don't give that another thought that's not the answer taking your life is not the answer christ wants to give you life you know if you're hearing that inside of your head that's not god that's the enemy maybe that's your flesh maybe that's you beating yourself up but that's not god he wants to give you hope Even when things seem hopeless, Jesus Christ is our hope. And Hebrews 6 says that that hope is the anchor of our souls. Isn't it interesting that we're talking about a storm and a ship that's going to fall apart? But hope is our anchor. It's not going anywhere, folks. The anchor is not going anywhere. Here's why. Jesus Christ is our anchor in the storm. Do you know an anchor wasn't a sign, uh, an image that they found? in early Christianity because it became a symbol of hope because Christ is our hope.